Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm David Thorpe, Investment Editor at FT Advisor. Today we are discussing the always interesting outlook for bonds. When the world is gripped by a cocktail of concerns around recession, inflation and financial stability, sentiment towards fixed income has veered wildly this year, with markets moving sharply, depending on the hints of central bankers or US data releases. But with yields generally higher than they have been for years, to what extent is there a margin of safety in the asset class that makes it investable? And what does asset allocation within the asset class look like right now? Joining me to discuss the topic are Torquil Stewart, Strategic Bond Fund Manager at Bailey Gifford, Tom Beckett from the Chief Investment Office at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, and Nathan Sweeney, Deputy CIO for Multi-Asset at Marlborough. Thank you all for joining me today, Thank you for having us. guys. Um, Tom, if we if we start with you, um, it has this year seemed as though the bond market has at times ignored central bank rhetoric around interest rates, with the market even going as far as the pricing cuts on some occasions. But is it ever wise to fight the Fed? Well, Zed, thank you for having us. And uh, we couldn't possibly be having this at a more relevant time to talk about fixed income. And, um, you know, certainly with the daily reverberations in financial markets being led by the bond market, as things typically are, um, it's a fascinating time to discuss fixed interest. And you mentioned the concept of margin of safety, and we'll talk about the overall risks and opportunities in fixed interest markets. But to be blunt, I'm much more optimistic now on fixed income and have been for a long time for the very simple message that you're now getting paid for investing in fixed income, which up until quite recently was a, was, was a rarity. And a lot of what we're seeing is being driven, as you said, by what we're seeing with regards to the daily uh, machinations of what the central bankers might be doing. And, uh, and yes, that's obviously important, but there's a lot of other things at, at, at play as well. But what's interesting when it comes to discussing the outlook for interest rates and what's being priced into bond markets it's a very painful episode getting fixed interest markets to the point where they were effectively aligned with what the central bank in the US, the Federal Reserve, were themselves saying. Uh, and in the last couple of weeks, lots of things have happened. But the one thing we've seen is markets becoming, again, once again, very misaligned with what the central bank is saying, who've been saying that they're going to put up interest rates further and hold them at higher levels or restrictive territory for some time to come. The bond market doesn't agree, um, which is right. Well, history tells you that the Federal Reserve tells bond markets when they're going to raise rates. The bond market tells the Federal Reserve when they're going to cut rates. Uh, perhaps what we've seen in the last couple of weeks and the issues in the banking sector is a sign that maybe the Federal Reserve might want to put up rates much further, but they're not going to be able to do so. That could have positive implications for fixed interest markets, as I'm sure we're going to talk about. Thank you. Uh, Torquil, as a strategic bond fund manager at Bailey Gifford, uh, you, you have the, the scope to go anywhere across the, the fixed income universe within that context. Um, how do you, do you react when central banks say something? Do you move between the asset class? Or is it best to uh, ignore the Fed at, at this point? Uh, thank you, um, David. Um, the, the key thing we're seeing just now in the markets, uh, effectively, is that you are seeing quite a lot of perturbations coming through as those rates are really starting to bite. So one of the key facets of what we've seen in the last week or so is the pressure on the regional banks. And as you know, banks are really quite strong inflationary forces. We're going to have to go back to the global financial crisis to see the impact of what happens when banks aren't lending. And indeed, Silicon Valley Bank is really quite important for many of those sort of 
innovative venture capital funds, which then on lend to innovative new businesses. So really what we're seeing is quite a lot of pressure in that market that will be coming through and credit rationing will start to occur, which will ultimately, we think, slow job creation and reduce inflation going forward. So what we've seen is that you're likely to see um, the central banks marching and very much the sort of grand old Duke of New York scenario, they'll march up to the top of the hill and then they'll march us back down again. But effectively, inflation will start to be tamed and tempered as we go forward. Now, what this means in terms of uh, corporate bond allocation is that you may wish to start moving away from high yield, which generally performs quite well because the maturity of those bonds is generally shorter. And also you've got quite a high yield on them. So they tend to be quite well in an inflationary environment. But as we move through to a, a market environment where rates are potentially falling and we're moving into more recessionary conditions, then one wants to allocate more to longer dated, potentially, investment-grade uh, corporate bonds, but also maybe putting in some into uh, government bonds as well, because they provide quite a, a decent hedge just now against more turbulent conditions ahead. Thank you. And uh, Nathan, from, from your point of view, um, have you been fighting the Fed or do you see that margin of safety in bond markets that, that I think Tom mentioned? Yeah. So, you know, from our perspective, I think you have to consider that uh, it is unwise to fight the Fed. So from their perspective, they have got a real clear point to prove. So if we think about the end of last year, the Fed was talking about the fact that inflation was transitory. It clearly wasn't. You know, so they're obviously wounded and their credibility is under question as a result of that. So it's likely that they stay the course in this fight against inflation. It is clear that inflation is coming down, but they will want to ensure that it continues to come down and stays down. Now, there's obviously a number of things happening within the market, which leads bond markets to expect the Fed to cut. But throughout the course of this year, we've had that same argument in place. So I do think that, you know, fighting the, the Fed in this scenario could be one that's quite difficult. Um, but, you know, given current market expectations around rate cuts, we may not see those rate cuts coming through this year. So therefore, I think those rate cuts are probably a little bit over-optimistic. Thank you. Um, uh, Torquil, a uh, feature of uh, bond markets uh, for much of the past sort of decade from, let's say, the... Uh, the uh, the end of the the global financial crisis to um, the first U.S. rate hike last year was that in many cases it, it felt like uh, one could earn capital gain from bonds rather than income. Now yields have obviously risen since then, so maybe the, the calculus has, has changed somewhat. Um, but in the year ahead, do you expect the bulk of the returns in your portfolio to come from capital gains or from from picking up those yields? Yeah, so we think actually in the next sort of six months or so, you're likely to see income dominating with some capital appreciation in corporate bonds because there are wide spreads, that extra compensation you receive over government bonds in investment grade just now. And also, we'd likely to see some tightening in high yield as well as the, the present uh, Silicon Valley and Credit Suisse hiatus dissipates. And that could be quite beneficial uh, for bond prices in the short term. But as we move further through the year, we think you're going to see quite a disconnect between sort of shorter dated uh, corporate bonds and government bonds, which have been a great place to be in the short run, uh, because in high inflationary environments, you're in shorter maturity bonds, they tend to hold up better. 
But as we move into a more deflationary environment and inflation really starts to be tamed, we think longer dated treasuries and also longer dated safe investment grade corporate bonds could start to do well. Because as you know, as yields come down, prices go up. Uh, and so we think uh, particularly long dated investment grade corporate bonds could come back into vogue as we move through this year. Thank you. Um, Tom, as a builder of portfolios, I guess that bond challenge has been that um, owning bonds for capital gains is not really what it says in the textbooks that we're supposed to do. Um, the higher yields you mentioned provide that, that margin of, of safety. But do, is it your view that you're back to bonds are, are more for carrying income and, and equities for, for capital appreciation? Or has the, the change not quite not quite happened that way yet? Well, that's assuming there's going to be some capital appreciation in equity markets, but that's probably a discussion <laughs> well, for another day. Let's, uh, <laughs> yeah. let's save that one. I, I think it's going to be a mix, and that's no different to um, what Torquil was saying, saying as well. I mean, I, I think, as you sit here today, you, you don't want to think as fixed interest as one, just one asset class together. It's a range of different asset classes. Uh, and if you break it down into different components, you'll probably like to see more income from some investments and more capital gain from some other investments. If you if you think about the the, the risk curve of where you might be with regards to government bonds, um, you're probably going to see a mixture. If you buy very short dated UK gilts, as an example, you can buy some of them for 2025 bonds trading at 93 pence in the pound. Well, then you're going to see some capital appreciation. And for those individual investors on today's call, that's actually um, CGT free as well. That's a, that's a very nice investment, perhaps, to have on that basis. When you then go further out the um, risk curve and you look towards investments like investment grade, there's lots of those which were issued a couple of years ago at the wrong yield where prices have fallen a very long way and there will be some capital appreciation. If you look towards some of the high yield bond markets or dare I say it, some of the um, financials bond markets, which are particularly um, questionable at this point in time, there you're trading a long way below par. I mean, you know, certain parts of the high yield market are trading at roughly 85 cents in the dollar. So as long as those bonds don't default, you're going to see some distribution yield and also some pull to par as well. So it should be a combination of both. I mean, I think the good news is the overall starting point for fixed income returns is much better than it's been for a very long time. And the last decade was a very difficult time to be a fixed interest investor. I'm now much more optimistic. Thank you. Um, Nathan, do you share Tom's uh, optimism about the bond market? And also as a, as a multi-asset investor, um, do you feel that you're, we're back to the position where bonds and equities can be expected to be inversely uh, correlated? Yeah, so I think, you know, I, I share the same view as um, both Torkel and Tom. Um, so I think from current levels, you know, the bulk of the return within the bond space is likely to come from income, uh, other than the very short end. Um, so if we look at yields, they're unlikely to end uh, the year much lower than they are today. Um, and, you know, we do expect the economy to slow and, you know, that's going to likely uh, lead to, you know, better opportunities um, out there. And I think if you consider the inversion of the yield curve as well. That means that you're unlikely to see much change. Um, but I do expect that riskier asset classes are going to offer you plenty of opportunity. There's lots of dislocation in some markets today. So from a capital perspective, there's clear opportunities there. And from a multi-asset perspective, you know, clearly if we look at the allocation to fixed income over the last year, it hasn't really worked in terms of providing that counterbalance to portfolios. <laughs> And that's been something which has been well flagged and a big concern for allocators to a 60-40 portfolio. But the outlook from here looks an awful lot better. 
you know, we do see economies slowing, growth slowing, and that's likely to lead to falling rates at a point in time once the central banks are happy they have inflation under control. And I think the other point to mention is that if you look at the performance recently, because we've had a lot of volatility in the short term, those bonds have worked and have provided that counterbalance. Uh, so we do expect that bonds will provide you with that diversification that they should be providing in portfolios. Thank you. And Nathan, will stick with you for the next question as well. Uh, high yield bonds would normally be expected to do uh, poorly in a recession. But if we get a recession where inflation is perhaps stickier than is normally the case in a downturn, is there a place for high yield bonds? And what's your allocation like to, to that part of the, the market right now? Yeah, so we do think that in a well-diversified portfolio, there's a definite need for credit in there. And, you know, it does provide you with a different set of returns and a different set of risk relative to, say, equity, as an example. But it's clear that high yield will be vulnerable to a reassessment of default risk in an environment where the economy is slowing and where you have lots of volatility, particularly within the financial sector. Um, so from that perspective, uh, you want to be very wary of what you hold within the high yield space and that you have a good handle on the managers that you select and literally the investments that they are making. Um, so you want to know those managers intimately, essentially. In terms of our allocation, um, if we look at our Marlborough balance portfolio, we've got a 3% allocation to high yields. So it's not high on a relative basis, but we would also look at high yields at different points in the cycle relative to equity because they can perform similarly, particularly in a sell-off. So we might want to move those weightings accordingly. But we do think it warrants having a holding throughout the cycle. And Tom, uh, how do you view high yield? I mean, look, there's an argument that if uh, if a company hasn't defaulted after a pandemic, after rate increases, after sluggish economic growth, that maybe it's not going to default by now. And that's quite a bullish case for a high yield bond. But there's also the fact that People may want to, to take risk off the table, uh, which is which is obviously negative for high-yield bond prices. Yeah, I, I think we're in a very different situation now in this inverted commas crisis to the crises previously, such as the energy crisis of 2014-2015, financial crisis of 2008-2009, uh, and indeed the um, technology crisis top, uh, you know, tech bubble of the early part of this century when high-yield markets had a big issue. Let's not forget that companies have gone into this current crisis, having just, as you rightly point out, emerged from another crisis, the COVID crisis. Just over a year ago, I wasn't able to go and see my parents who live in France, not because I don't like them or they don't like me, but, but because the government wasn't allowing me to do so. So companies were naturally preparing their own companies for the worst, which means that they've gone into this current crisis with balance sheets looking stronger, leverage ratios looking lower, and interest coverage ratios looking higher. And it's hard to pinpoint one specific sector in the high yield markets, which looks like it's going to go through a massive default cycle as we go forward. And that's normally a key symptom of high yield crises looking backwards. So I would agree with Nathan, you need to be very, very selective here and know exactly what you own. And Credit Suisse um, over the weekend has demonstrated that that um, selectivity is absolutely vital. But I wouldn't necessarily just go and say that high yield as a whole is going to have massive issues. Is the default rate going to rise? Yes. Um, will it be um, in the most uh, risky types of bonds? Absolutely. Um, can you avoid those investments and still make a good return from high yield to go forward? Absolutely. And will the returns of, a, you know, let's just say it's a sort of 10% yield adjusted for 3% of defaults, will that 7% return 
return be comparable or be outstripping equities as we go forward? I would suggest quite possibly. I mean, what we're seeing now is a crisis of profitability over solvency. And that gives me some confidence. So a bit like Nathan, um, I wouldn't be putting a huge amount of money in hide at this juncture, but ignore it at your peril. It could well be an attractive source of returns going forward. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, Torkel, I think you, you mentioned in, in, a, in a previous answer uh some of your focus is being uh, switching towards the the long dated end of the market, but uh, how how do you view high yield in the in the current climate? Yes, well, high high yield is a very useful tool uh, to utilise at times, particularly in inflationary environments. But just now we see it as one that we're actually reducing within the portfolio. So we began the year with around uh, forty percentage points in high yield, and we subsequently reduced that to about a third of the portfolio. Uh, classically high yield for our Bailey Gifford strategic bond fund, uh, we tend to focus upon the double B rated entities. Uh, so those companies that are at the h- higher quality end of the high yield spectrum, rather than the lower lowest rung of high yield, which is the treble C's where defaults can be very high. So as we move through this year, we really think it's quite important to be very selective and know the companies that you're lending to. Do they have strong prospects going forward, because what you often find is that if you have a a business that's producing the products and services of the future, where there's a a growth angle to them, then it means that if you do get into a more challenging market, then their equity uh, providers are much more likely to step in to provide them with equity and help them through that cyclical period of weakness uh, than if you're lending to a a business that really doesn't have strong uh, long-term prospects. So that is what we've been doing, is that we're slowly tempering uh, that high yield portion and reallocating to some of the high quality investment grade uh, businesses that are out there, in part because you're, the opportunity cost is quite low just now. So you're getting a very high and handsome yield just now on investment grade uh, corporate bonds. Thank you for that, Torkill. Um Tom, government bonds have been acutely volatile over the past couple of years, given that many investors on the asset class as a way to actually dampen volatility in portfolios. Does the long-term strategic justification for owning govies need to be revisited? Um, possibly, if we're in a different environment. I just want to come back on one point that talk I'll make, because that's, that's very important, because I think actually all listeners to this podcast need to recognise how much the game has changed in the last couple of years. At the end of 2021, I think the opportunities to invest in investment-grade bonds probably led on an index to a forward return of roughly 1.5%, which after fees, I can promise you, isn't very much. The fact that those yields, which Torquil was just referring to, are now closer to 6 is a completely different situation from that we are in beforehand. And government bonds have also adjusted. Let's not forget there's been points in the last decade where government bond yields were to all intents and purposes zero and negative after fees and definitely negative in real terms. What we've seen is an adjustment in fixed interest markets generally up to higher yields, whether it's government bonds, investment grade, or indeed high yield credit, as aforementioned. And, and, and that's an important point for where we are now. It's about assessing what those returns are and what they provide. And, and the hurdle rate is much higher now. If you, if you were to invest in a very short-dated US Treasury, as an example, you're getting a return comfortably in excess of, of 4%. And at some point, it's been 5% recently. That's a big hurdle rate now for investing in other asset markets. So I think the problem that we saw last year 
in what, let's be honest, if we'd sat down a year ago and thought, what's the best way to blow up the bond market? I think we'd have come up with 2022. As we sit here today, it's a different paradigm. It's a new set of yields that we're looking at. And there should be some compensation now and protection against the potential for a disinflationary shock from government bond markets. And what we've seen recently is that positive correlation between bonds and equities appears to have broken down from what was so damaging last year. And bonds are once again, government bonds at the sorts of yields where you can get some compensation in more difficult market environments. That's what government bonds are supposed to do. I think they've gone from being uninvestable to being something which you would probably have a small but moderate allocation to. Thank you. Uh, Nathan, from a portfolio construction point of view, um, what role do Govies uh, play now? Is it back to that traditional role that we could expect prices to rally in the event of a, a downturn? Or is it uh, something else? Yeah, so I think basically back to the traditional sense. Uh, so I think if you think of 2022, you had an inevitable adjustment after obviously a period of falling yields. Now you have to really take a step back because this is one of the unintended quant consequences of quantitative easing. So it was an experiment in a sense, um, and obviously pumping all of this money into the market, buying bonds uh, at extremely low yields and continuing to do that for a very long period of time. And suddenly you have inflation shooting up and this is what happens. You get a complete meltdown within the bond space. Um, so as a result of that, I think that it will cause central banks to pause for thought. So that comes back to the question on interest rates and what they do with interest rates, because ultimately, can they go down that route again? But I do think, uh, on to Tom's point, that government bonds now are very attractive. They offer a lovely yield. And as part of that, you know, they do offer that counterbalance within portfolios. So it definitely warrants a place in portfolios. And I don't think investors should be put off necessarily by the falls that you saw in 2022. It's, it's a fascinating point, Nathan. I just want to bring up on that because let's not forget to remind everyone that this time last year, forget fighting inflation, central bankers, particularly the Federal Reserve, were still loosening monetary policy and quantitative easing. Yeah. And we're emerging into this situation now, constantly praying at the altar of the Eccles building and the Federal Reserve, which calls into question a lot of what we're seeing around the world now. So it's let's not forget what's been happening in the last couple of years. But as everyone said, starting points are very different now, aren't they? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Torkel, I don't know in, in your strap bond fund if you're allowed to invest in govies, but... Uh, Tom mentioned the hurdle rate uh, to invest in anything else. If you can get a yield of sort of three or four percent in govies, how do you how do you think about that question? How how big does the yield that you need? How big does the spread need to be for uh, over govies for for something to be attractive uh, in this market? Well, what we're seeing within, if you compare govies certainly to corporate bonds um, and investment grade corporate bonds, is that the actual uh, sterling investment grade corporate bond markets now yielding over 5%. So that is the highest yield that we've seen since the global financial crisis. So you are receiving quite a healthy cushion over and above government bonds in the sterling market right now. So actually, the recent sell-off has made IG quite appealing. Um, so at this present juncture, I suspect we'll start to see corporate bonds spreads, that extra compensation over governments, starting to compress a bit in the short run as we see this period of hiatus dampening down. But unless that comes in, I suspect we'll start allocating a bit more uh, to, uh, to government bonds. We are seeing a 3% a yield just now on 10-year on government bonds, or over 3%. And of course, that compares to 
0.1% in 2020 or 0.5% in 2021. So a dramatic change from, from where we've been in the past. Indeed, if we look at our Bailey Gifford strategic bond fund just now, it is almost yielding three times the level it was in 2021 at points. So we've got a yield of over 6% just now. Um, so effectively, we think the corporate bonds still look very appealing. But as we move through the year, we'll start to continue moving into to government bonds because they provide you with that lovely cushion uh, if we move into more recessionary conditions and um, the risk premiums start to rise again in corporate bond markets as we move into recession. But at this point in time, we think governments also look relatively interesting, but increasingly so as we move through the year. Thank you. And then uh, f- final question and uh, re- relatively um, brief answers if, if we can, chaps. Um, Nathan, how do you... Um protect, I suppose, your your fixed income allocation from the consequences of uh, declining liquidity over the coming year, apart from avoiding AT1s? So I think, you know, within a multi-asset portfolio, you've got a balanced portfolio, you've got exposure to government bonds, corporate bonds, high-yield credit. Um, You know, as a result of that, if you buy and hold credit, it's a way of harvesting that liquidity premium for a well-diversified multi-asset portfolio. And I don't think people should necessarily be concerned about the liquidity of government bonds either. So therefore, from that perspective, it's an asset class that you can hold within a well-diversified portfolio. Thank you. Uh, Tom, how, how do you how do you think about that question? Yes, I'll definitely try to be brief and succinct. Um, in, in terms of um, 81s, I wouldn't be avoiding them. Actually, I'd be using the current volatility as an opportunity to find those credits that you like, be selective and um, invest in them with conviction. And I think really that's the only solution to the issues that you've um, eloquently described there and also the issues we've all discussed here today. Be very, very selective, know what you're holding, why you're holding it, uh, and do it with conviction. That's got to be the recipe for success in challenging fixed interest markets going forward. Thank, Thank you. you. And uh, Torkel, how, how relevant or important or, or how much in your thoughts is that question of uh, liquidity uh, exiting uh, the market right now? Sure. I mean, as, as we see markets becoming a bit more turbulent going forward, um, liquidity is something that's very important. It's something that investors should really ask about the funds they're investing in is what what is the the size of average instrument that they're investing if it's sub 100 million well you may not be getting the liquidity that you require equally what is the turnover of uh, stocks and bonds within their portfolio if it is 100% plus well that may become quite problematic if bid offers widen our typical uh, turnovers around 25% to 30% per annum so the other thing is to think about is how do they monitor liquidity what tools are they using how is it being uh, looked at. And that's really quite important to ensure that you do have liquidity in situations when, when the markets may become more troubled. Certainly for our strategy, our strategic bond funds, uh, the average size of bond we lent is about 700 million, as against about 500 million in for average size in the sterling market. So we like to go for bonds that have liquidity and we take it very seriously and monitor it carefully. So those are some of the key questions investors should think about, I think. Thank you for that, Torkel Stewart, uh, Strategic Bond Fund Manager at Bailey Gifford. And thank you to Tom Beckett from the Chief Investment Office at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management and Nathan Sweeney, Deputy CIO for Multi-Asset at Marlborough. And thank you all for listening. Please do remember to tune in to the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Goodbye. 
In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.